0: Welcome to China in Context. I'm Paul Hodges, Chairman of New Normal Consulting. China blames the United Kingdom for its so-called century of humiliation. In the 19th century, the British were involved in two opium wars with China, an egregious effort by the leading imperialist power to keep China's population hooked on drugs. The war is long since over, and the British Empire has crumbled into dust. But once again, Communist China is finding itself on the opposite side to the United Kingdom in almost any political argument. So how is the current British government, led by Prime Minister Richie Sunak, handling the relationship? And what will happen after the next general election? Our guest on the podcast today is the person who usually takes the presenter's chair, Duncan Bartlett, the editor of Asian Affairs. He's well qualified to talk about China-UK relations as he follows this area closely. Duncan, I'd like to start by reflecting on the speed with which the UK-Chinese relationship has changed in the last few years. It seems hard to believe that President Xi was invited for a state visit in 2015 when the UK talked of a golden era in terms of ties between the two countries. Today, just eight years later, The UK seems to be hesitating between a policy of outright confrontation and aggressive competition. What is going on?
1: Well, thank you for hosting the podcast this week, Paul. Uh, You say eight years as though it was the blink of an eye. And I suppose that compared to China's so-called century of humiliation, which you mentioned earlier, eight years is not a long period of time. But then again, if I consider all the things that have happened in eight years, It seems like a very long time. I think I met you about four years ago, didn't I? Yes. But seriously, when it comes to China, there have been some enormously significant events in the past eight years. Firstly, Xi Jinping has consolidated power around himself. And basically, he is insisting that everyone toes the party line if they want to maintain their social status. Then there was the COVID outbreak and the initial cover-up in Wuhan. Add to that the clampdown on the pro-democracy protests in Hong Kong and the imposition of a very Chinese system of control on that city, which was a former British colony. And we also need to take into account China's treatment of the Uyghur minority in Xinjiang and its threatening behavior towards Taiwan, including Frequent sorties by bombers from the People's Liberation Army Air Force. That happened just a couple of days ago, in fact. And don't forget that China is still refusing to condemn Russia for its atrocious invasion of Ukraine. All of these factors together impact public opinion. It gives the media plenty of negative stories to include in its coverage of China. And I notice this all the time in the reports I hear and watch on BBC radio and television. And it also comes through in the articles and op-eds I read in the newspapers. So naturally, that flow of bad news about China influences politicians here in London, and indeed, in other liberal democratic capitals around the world, too. You know, I also pick this up in the classroom, too. I teach politics now, and a question I often ask students is, what kind of new global order is China trying to establish? I've heard a range of answers, but hardly anyone would agree that this is the kind of global order which sits comfortably with British democratic values.
0: There's a lot of heated talk also, Duncan, about Hong Kong, a former British colony. I noticed that Mr Sunak sent Lord Dominic Johnson, investment minister, there recently. China hawks on the right wing of the Conservative Party have described even this relatively low level of engagement as Project
1: Kowtow. Do you think that's fair? Well, you make an interesting observation, and I think the implication of your question is that even though this Conservative government, led by Mr Sunak, is hardly falling over itself to make friends with China even a relatively limited offer of engagement rankles the hawks within the Conservative Party in the House of Commons. And let me spell out why that is. They sense that the imposition of the new security laws in Hong Kong undermine the democratic process there. They also think that the legal system has become highly politicized. And it's dangerous now for people to express any kind of direct criticism of the Chinese Communist Party and its leader, Xi Jinping. Actually, some people who sold books which contained critical views were basically kidnapped and threatened with jail. So I'd also make the point that if you go into the House of Commons in London, it's not just the right wing of the Conservative Party, which is throwing up its hands in horror at what happened in Hong Kong, That clampdown shocked people from right across the political spectrum in the UK, right and left. So it's got serious implications in terms of bilateral diplomatic relations with China. We're going to have a general
0: election in the UK by the end of next year, Duncan. So all of these issues are going to come to the boil again, aren't they? The opposition Labour Party is doing well at the polls at the moment. And as I see it, Labour policy towards China has become more hardline in recent years, with Sir Keir Starmer accusing the government of cozying up to China's Communist Party and suggesting there is a need for a full audit of relations with China, particularly on human rights. What's your assessment of Labour's position on China?
1: Well, Paul, if you come into my little office, you'll find a lot of newspapers, Um, Some titles I subscribe to online, like the South China Morning Post. Very useful it is, too. But I also like to buy newspapers. Uh, So let me show you a clipping here from one I bought on August the 10th, 2023. It's from the Financial Times. And I'm referring to a piece by one of my favourite writers, Robert Shrimsley. He wrote a piece taking stock of the Labour Party's position on a range of issues, And he came to this conclusion. I'll read it to you. In key areas, Keir Starmer's pitch in the run-up to the next general election will look a lot like Boris Johnson's in 2019, partly due to the former Prime Minister's innate interventionalism. On Brexit, immigration, tax, China, regional policy, trans rights, and even to a degree on net zero, Labour, is on conservative ground. Well, that's remarkable, isn't it? Because if you were to go and ask the British public their views on immigration, net zero and trans rights, I can tell you for certain you'd get a whole range of different views. Actually, Paul... I strongly suggest that you don't ask people's views on all those contentious issues down a a British pub on a Friday night unless you intend to start a fight. (laughs) But look, Robert Shrimsley is a gentleman. He's not a pub brawler. And and, and here he is basically saying that Labour and the Conservatives align on all those controversial issues, at least to a degree. And he says... They also align when it comes to foreign policy on China. So Labour talks tough on China. It accuses China of genocide in Xinjiang. Sir Keir Starmer, as you mentioned, said he wants a full audit of relations with the country. But he faces dilemmas because Sir Keir frequently says that economic growth is the absolute foundation stone for everything So disengaging from China would be hard to reconcile with that. He's also presenting Labour as a party which supports business. So I'm wondering, will he be able to balance the business interests with the more values-based approach to foreign policy, which is advocated by many Labour Party members? I really wonder what he'd actually do as Prime Minister if he ever gets to number 10.
0: Well, thank you very much for that. It's very important and very interesting. takes us on to the general question of China's economy and the potential impact of the bursting of its real estate bubble. Its $43 trillion, repeat that, $43 trillion of stimulus led the global economy out of recession after 2008, but also meant that real estate... Now accounts for 29 percent of GDP, much higher than anywhere else in the world, and the bubble is already now starting to burst with sales and prices in a downturn. How do you see this impact in China's international
1: relations? Well, I was asked about the property market bubble in a TV interview the other day, and I replied that in China's biggest cities, property prices have fallen by about 30 percent in the space of the past year that is indeed a burst bubble the media describes it as a crisis and it means that china has deflation falling prices compared to very high inflation in many other parts of the world but i mean there is a particular reason for this deflation (laughs) it's because the property prices have fallen so much so what's the people's bank of china doing in response Well, it's cutting some interest rates. Uh, That's a big uh, contrast to the sharp rises in interest rates that we've seen elsewhere. And at the same time, there's been a significant fall in foreign direct investment in China. And this is following on from your question about what it means for international relations. Because, you know, we can talk about the political sphere, but in in the business sphere, which is the one that you're most familiar with, there are obviously several concerns bubbling up. One is that people are wondering if the whole Chinese economy is heading for a slump, as that recent uh, headline in the Wall Street Journal suggested, dragged down, of course, by this crisis in the property market. And then the other thing that business leaders are asking uh, is, are the Americans going to make it so complicated to deal with China, especially in the tech sector, that it's simply not worth the bother? And so actually, when I meet Indians and Japanese people and South Koreans, they tend to see this as an opportunity. They're saying, come and talk to us. We've got the solution to your China problem. Come to Mumbai, Tokyo or Seoul. You won't get any trouble from the Americans if you do that.
0: What does all this mean for the UK's relationship with Taiwan and indeed with China?
1: Well, No major political party is suggesting a change from the situation we have at the moment. The government is going to hold high-level discussions about trade and energy with China in 2023. At the same time, there will be talks with Taiwan, but those will involve fairly junior ministers and they'll be kept quite low-key. Britain, like most countries, has no formal diplomatic ties with taiwan but the uk is a firm supporter of american foreign policy in east asia but
0: when it comes to the chinese people you encounter on a day-to-day basis surely they don't come across
1: as wanting a war with the uk well that's a very good point Um, and in fact i do interact with chinese people a lot um, although my social circle doesn't include commanders of the People's Liberation Eastern Theatre Command, <laughs> I'm much more likely uh, to run into students and teachers in colleges and universities. So last week I went to Oxford and the city was teeming with Chinese tourists who were enjoying their holiday and spending money on afternoon tea and souvenirs And of course during term time some of the very brightest students at oxford university are people from china they have to pass daunting tests to get in there so they're quite literally geniuses so let me emphasize what i think could be gained if the uk and china agree to remain on good terms our cultural and our educational exchanges could bring a host of benefits to both sides we see that actually at soas especially of course In the SOAS China Institute, we love to engage with Chinese people.
0: Thank you very much, Duncan, for that positive note to end with. This has been a fascinating and important discussion, and I'd like to thank you, Duncan, for the critical insights that you've shared with us today. I am Paul Hodges, Chairman of New Normal Consulting. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London. And you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team.